Lou, can you all pray for me? When I come up, I feel like maybe they should be praying for you all because you got to put up with this. So um, I'm actually going gonna, gonna to pull a Byron, and I'm going to do like a pre-message. So I apologize about that. Um, I had this, this dream this morning that I woke up out of, and it was really unpleasant. And so I'm going to share that. Isn't that great? So um, in this dream, I was sitting in um, my old bedroom at my godmother's house. You don't need all the background, but I lived half-time with my godparents. And it was awesome. It was great. Um, But my godfather died maybe 20 years ago. My godmother passed away like two years ago. So in this dream, like just some of those issues were being discussed. You know, my godfather just passed away in my dream. But again, that was like 20 years ago. And then my godmother passed away. And um, her niece, who in real life inherited everything and didn't necessarily have a good place in her heart for me growing up, um, came in. She's like, oh, you're still here? And I got, you know, I got the gist. I, I took the hint and the dream. I, I needed to get out. I wasn't, I wasn't welcome there. And so I, you know, started packing up. I reached down and pulled up a box, like, you know, like the paper boxes that they hand you at work when you're fired and you got to load up all your stuff. Like just in the dream, that thing just materialized. And so I pulled it up and I started reaching to my closet and pulling out bags and putting them in this box. Like I had all, literally, I was loading up baggage. And so I just, um, I just want to say, if you have unfinished business with people who have passed away, um, maybe on forgiveness towards the way that they treated you, or you feel like you have stuff on set towards them, or maybe it's a dream that died or a business that died, I just felt like um, I'm going to pray for that. You know, that's something that the Lord can have. Um, even if whatever that is, that person or that thing isn't here for you to reconcile with or to, to work through those things, the Lord can have that. All right, so just if that applies to you, awesome. If you're at home or out here, I'm just going to pray really quick. Dear Lord, we just give up our burdens to you and the things that we can't in the, just in physical realms manage because they're no longer here for us to reconcile with. Lord, you can manage all of those things. So we just give those burdens to you, Lord, and we release them from ourselves. Amen. Hope that was good and simple and didn't take too much time. Um, I am going to open with a story about the burning bush and some following things. So that'll be exciting. I'm going to pull up um, Exodus. I think Ollie's got it rolling on the back or will shortly. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. He's talking to Moses, right? You all know the story? I didn't do a whole lot of background because I figured this is, you know, Moses is hanging out, and then there's this bush on fire, and he's like, oh, cool, bush on fire. Awesome. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And we all know, if you've you know, spent much time in the church, you know how the story goes. Moses is like, no, no, not me. And the Lord's like, yes, yes, you. And so he goes down to Egypt, has conversation with Pharaoh that doesn't go the way that he would like it to. Pharaoh is stubborn. The Lord helps him with that. There are some plagues. The Egyptians escape. 
There's a parting of a big C. Hooray. Right? Okay. All right. So I'm going to jump a whole book in the Bible and, and pick up this story, okay? And work towards where I'm going with this. This is now in Numbers, um, where they're heading towards the promised land, right? And y'all probably remember this story too, where they pick one member from each of the 12 tribes, and they send them in to scope the place out, do a little recon mission. What are we, what, what's it look like? How is it going to go? What are we in for? So then this is Numbers, um, I don't remember the chapter, but, oh, 13. Awesome. 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community, the, the spies do, they come back, at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. So they go into the land of milk and honey, that the Lord said, I'm going to send you to this land, the land of milk and honey, and that's where you're going to go. So the spies go in, they find the fruit growing there, right, whatever that is, and they bring it out, and they show them the fruit, and they're like, this is, this is it. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We have seen descendants from Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And you know Maybe know how the story goes. They're like, we can't do this. We would have to go through this place called the Negev into the Negev. Sorry, Franklin, if you're watching this at home yet, he might still be in the car. He was playing guitar. He was coaching me on my Hebrew pronunciation last night. Um, We have to go through this place, and there are these bad dudes guarding it. So our goal is to get to this land that the Lord has set aside for us, full of milk and honey, but we have to go through the wilderness and face these obstacles before we get there. And they're like, no way. We can't do it. We're out. That's the counsel that these recon guys are given to the leaders. They're like, no way. We're not, we're not going to do it. And then you know that um, Joshua and Caleb were like, no, no, we can do this. We can do this. So before we get to talking about milk and honey, I want to talk about the wilderness the wilderness experience, because I think that's something that, by this point, most of us have had the opportunity to encounter. The tough stuff, right? If you, you know, look at the opposite end, there's a mountaintop experience where you are on the mountain and you are in the presence of the Lord and it's glorious and awesome. And then there's this wilderness experience that's harsh and it's hard and it's difficult and it's trying do you all know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. I wish that that was not part of the deal. Like as a young Christian, that was my biggest issue. Like why do things have to be hard? God, I believe you and I believe you're all powerful. You could make this all easy. This could be simple but that's not it. And it was really hard for me to deal with when I didn't want to go through those tough times. I say that um, I am a bad sufferer. I don't suffer well. In fact, even the thought of suffering really drives me crazy. 
Like I get anxious about it. Like in almost, in almost every single situation, the anticipation is worse than what I'm anticipating. Is, is anybody else like that? Where I, I think that something's going to be difficult or something's going to be hard or it's going to be uncomfortable for me. And it brings me stress and I'm like lying in bed at night like, oh my gosh, I have to do this thing at work tomorrow that's going to be hard and it's not going to be pleasant. And I don't, I don't handle the suffering well. I think that's, that's probably fair to say, um, generally speaking of modern Americans. Like I think culturally we're at the place where for a lot of the time we can avoid suffering. We can put ourselves in positions where we don't have to suffer. You know, in fact, if you're an innovator and if you can find something that is an inconvenience to somebody and invent a solution to that, like you can make tons of money because people will pay out to not just suffer, but not even just be inconvenienced because that's, you know, we like comfort. We like to be comfortable. We like to be set. We don't want to go through hard times. And when hard times happen, a lot of times we're not really prepared to deal with it well. You know, I know I'm not. And I, I just, again, I, I'm, I'm not great at it. And every time I read through Paul's letters, I'm like, oh, are you serious, this guy again? Because he's like, you know, I count it a joy that I can suffer for the Lord. I'm like, show off. You know, like I'm not, I don't. I don't know that. I'm all the time like, joyful. Like, thank you, Lord. This is awful. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't feel that way. You know, and it's funny, I think, that the church used to be way about suffering. Like, the historical church. Like, you know, people who would flog themselves. So, like, if I feel physical pain, I can relate to Jesus more. Or, um, you know, I was, remember hearing these stories about, people who would go out into forest or desert or whatever was nearby them, and they would build pillars. Have you heard of these guys? And then they would live on the pillars. And that was like them putting themselves, like what's the most uncomfortable I can ever be? And they would live on these pillars and just hope that people brought them food. Like that, people, people are crazy. <laughs> but it's just such a different atmosphere than where we are today, where it's like, uh-uh, I'm not. I'm not suffering. Like, I just, don't, I just don't deal with it well. And I think that's something that I need to grow in as a Christian and as a representative of Jesus to people is the hope of what happens on the back end of the wilderness experience. Because I do believe that. I do believe that there's milk and honey out there, that the wilderness experience doesn't last forever, that there is breakthrough, that there is blessing, that something comes beyond it. And I, you know, I just, I feel like personally, I need to be better about representing that to other people. Because I think I can get trapped in a woe is me, this, this is awful kind of attitude. Just, you know, some stuff going on at work that's not always off, awesome. And I could be like, guys, it's okay. We're going to get through this. I don't. <laughs> typically choose that route, but I need to be better. I'm going to just add a note about the wilderness experience because, oh no, let me say this first about suffering and how maybe I need to be better at it. Just a history lesson. This is a free aside, so no extra charge for this. The time in the history of the Christian church when the church grew the fastest, 
exponentially was during the first century AD when Christianity was outlawed and Christians were persecuted and murdered. You know, it's, this, it's the age of the Roman Colosseum. And not just in Rome, they had Colosseums or you know, arenas all over the Roman Empire, which for all intents and purposes was the, was the whole world at that point, where they would take Christians and they would throw them in and feed them to the lions or feed them to whatever, right? And it was during that time that the church was exploding. You know, and I just, I, I know that our vision of, because we get this from Hollywood, of the Colosseum is, you know, bloodthirsty fans. Yeah, kill them, right, whatever that looks like. But I just, I can't, knowing the fact that the church was blowing up and they're putting these Christians in front of these lions and they're saying, you know, give up your faith or this lion's going to eat you. And the Christian's like, come on. You know, I'm not giving up. And then the lion eats them. That there's probably people in that crowd, there's probably a group of people who aren't saying, yeah, feed them, feed them, but saying, huh. You know, this guy's dying for this. Like, there might be something for this. Because the church blew up. Um, again, you know, I, I don't know that. I, I think I need to do a better job. But, I don't know. Um, if you are in a wilderness situation, let me say this. The wilderness situation lasts a different amount of time. Right? So the Israelites, how long were they in the wilderness for? 40 years. It's a long, it's a long wilderness experience. Jesus, 40 days. That's not so bad. Oliver, would you put that picture up? I probably should have thrown it up a long time ago. This is the Negev. So when Jesus goes into the wilderness, this is the wilderness. And so when he spends 40 days... This is, this is where he goes. Maybe not that exact spot, but you get the point. Um, thanks, Ali. That's just a little visual. Um, there's this other funny scene that I didn't read in Exodus when Moses goes to Pharaoh to have conversation with him about letting the um, Israelites go. And he invites Pharaoh to come to the wilderness with him for just three days. He's like, let's go out for three days. We'll do our stuff, come back, and you can let the Israelites go. And Pharaoh doesn't have it. But, you know, 40 years, 40 days maybe, three days. You know, I was thinking like the disciples in the, um, in the boat during the storm. That's just overnight. Right? The wilderness experience varies in length. But the hope and the promise is that there's something on the other end. And from the experience of the Israelites, that's the land of milk and honey. So that's what we're going to talk about now. So we made it through the wilderness conversation. You know, I don't, I guess I'll say this. Um, I don't believe that the land of milk and honey was a magic place. Like I don't, you know, it wasn't the land of flowing gold fountains and ruby rivers. Right? Milk and honey. Milk and honey. Both natural things that occur. And I'd say, you know, for the foremost thing about both of them in an ancient world is calories, necessary nutrition, right? Especially milk. For any infant of any, you know, animal person, they need, they need milk. And then honey too. We know that honey is considered so sweet 
that we want to even crave the words of the Lord even more than honey. But I don't think we can, you know, throw out the fact that honey is a necessary calorie, you know, food for the ancient world. It's just sweet. It's more than bread and water. You all get this image? It's milk and honey. It's not magic golden fountains and unicorns. But it's not just bread and water. It's milk and honey. You know, and I'm sure that any of those above options would have been great for the Israelites who were stuck in bondage and happy to have whatever. But I think there's just something important to grab onto for us today about milk and honey. You know, David, um, when David shared his testimony last week about being without a job for 94 days, is that right? Um, you know, I, I don't, I didn't ask David this, so I'm, I'm making an assumption that David wasn't like, you know, Lord, help me win the lottery. You know, I need you to put my name on that publisher clearinghouse check. You know, I think David was praying for a job, right? Provision for his family. You know, I think that's in line with the land of milk and honey. I think it's hard because I think, um, in American culture, if we were to talk about the promised land and what that looks like, we'd be talking about you know, caviar wishes and champagne dreams or whatever it is. Y'all know the lifestyles of the rich and the famous? Like mansions. You know, oh man, my promised land is never working again. I'm going to live in this huge house. I'm going to drive eight cars. That's the promised land, according to modern day American culture. But I don't think that's That's really the intention, right? When the intention really is milk and honey. Provision, but sweet provision. Um, I'm going to share a testimony that, I don't know, I'm a little embarrassed to share this because I feel like it's just an embarrassment of riches for me and my family. But it's something that the Lord did, so it's not on me. You can blame him if you don't like my story. Um, Chrissy and I on the 4th of July were driving with our kids in our car that we desperately loved because it was perfect for our family and not related to anything we did. All of a sudden, on Highway 150, there was a Jeep in front of us coming sideways on the highway, and we crushed into them, and our car was gone. So thank the Lord. You know, if we'd been driving faster, the conversation would have been different, but we just lost the car. But we love that car. It was perfect for our family. And I, you know, has anybody lost a car that you liked? You know the insurance process is not pleasant. You're going to give me how much for my car that I love? We had that conversation. But I loved it, but it's only worth this amount. Not to me, it's not. We love this car. And just, you know, not in a financial financial position to all of a sudden be having a conversation about buying a new car. It wasn't on our radar. So just working through that stuff, there was this awesome situation where we were able to borrow my parents' van, which was great. The last time we were in a car accident, like we had to, it was like literally seven weeks of borrowing people's vehicles for like four days at a time. And we had like this schedule of like, okay, I'm picking up Melissa's car for these days, and then Tommy and Libby's car for these days, and then uh, we're going to run out of that car next Tuesday, so we got to find somebody else. So anyway, it was just really great that 
my parents were able to say, hey, we're not really leaving the home anyway. So you can have our van. And they live in Iowa. And my brother and his family were there anyway. They can drive it down to you. I was like, that's amazing. Like, super convenient. And then at some point, Christy's, our neighbor comes over and sees Christy. She's like, oh, did you guys get a new car? And Christy explains her, her the story. And she walks through that her cousin, who's not really her cousin, it's her second cousin, cousin twice removed by whatever, but he deals with salvage titles. And we're like, okay, well, we could potentially go that route. Although there's just some salvage title, you know, is when a car has been totaled out for insurance purposes. So it's hard to finance. It's hard to insure. It's not worth a whole lot on the back end. But potentially we could get into a nicer car and not like be suffering financially from it. And we're like, we can, we can do that. You know, so we don't take the measly amount that the insurance company has given us and buy some, you know, whatever we see on the side of the road down here with the for sale sign on it. Like, we could, we could get in something nice for our family. So we go that route. The financing falls into place. Like, just super, super easy. You know, again, this is all the Lord, so I'm not bragging on any of this. Like, God was really good to us. And then at the last minute, the insurance is becoming an issue. Which is like, well, we're, we're too deep now. The insurance is just going to be an issue. We'll have to figure it out. It's probably going to cost us just a ton to insure this thing. And then Chrissy gets a, car from this, or a call from this guy. He's like, oh, they messed up the paperwork when we bought this at auction. It's actually not a salvage car. It's a clean title. So it was like, What? So the financial situation like totally flips. Insurance is a piece of cake. We're essentially into a new car for not a new car price. But it was like, just thinking about it, it was milk and honey. You know, it wasn't like, Lord, we need a Cadillac. We need like, you know, I don't know what's cool these days. <laughs> Denise, what's cool? No, <laughs> whatever, okay. Like a Hummer or like, a, you know, a limo. We weren't, or a fleet of something. Like, you know, it was really, I think... My heart for sure was what's practical for our family. Like, you know, and for me, that's storage space. Five kids, you're going to go on vacation anytime. Like, you know, if we get a smaller car, I'm going to be riding with luggage on my lap. And that's not just, that's not my goal. And like this car that we got was not on our radar. It's not something we would have ever looked at. We would never have considered it. But I'm convinced that the Lord was like, this is the car that meets your family's needs the best. And it was just about sweet provision. It was about blessing from the Lord. But it wasn't like, you know, Alexis or, you know, it was just like, this is what you need to provide well for your family. I don't know. You know what a relief that is? Thank you, Lord. Let me, as an aside, say, um, if you are in a position where you feel responsible for for the provision of your family, stop it. That's the Lord's. Don't, Don't try and take that away from him because it's not yours. All you're going to do is just stress out over something that you can't control anyway. Um, We need to give that to the Lord. So it was sweet, sweet provision. And as much as I wish that, you know, there wasn't this, I mean, so in, for just the situation of our car, the wilderness experience was pretty short, 
right? Obviously, when we were in the car accident, that was traumatic. I think we're still suffering a little trauma from it, you know, when we're driving and people get close and it's, it's hard, you know? But there's this other side that's really been sweet and it's really been good for us. I don't want to just talk about physical blessings. Like, I'm great with that. Like, Lord, bless us. I think, I think what the Lord would want in these situations, in addition to blessing us physically, is, is really to know what's going on with our heart in these situations. Like, how is our heart managing and adapting? I'm going to just throw up a couple verses from the parable of the sower really quick. If you all are familiar with the Bible, you've heard this story before, where a sower goes out and starts throwing seeds. Um, but I'm just going to read the part about the fertile ground, because I think that's where we're trying to get to. This is Mark 4, 8. And he just talks about, you know, still these other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted and they grew and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as it had been planted. And then in verse 20, because this is then, I don't know if you know the story, but the disciples go, um, why do you speak in parables all the time? And they ask Jesus for a little bit of clarification, but this is what he says. This is 420. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. I don't like discomfort, but I think I can recognize that when we get through the wilderness situation that we may be in, that our heart's different. You know, and I know that scientifically it's true that, um, well, here, let me, let me share this story first, and I'll, I'll say that. Um, the wilderness season can really cultivate fertile soil in your heart. I have a buddy, um, Rob, who's one of my really good friends from high school and college who now lives in Northern California. Um, on a, his passion is self-sustaining farming. So they live on a farm that's off-grid, essentially. I mean, for, the, for all intents and purposes, it's off-grid um, that he and his wife have just labored over. So maybe a month, month and a half ago, a month ago, the wildfires are coming up the road. And they're literally throwing the dogs in the back of the truck and pulling off the property as the fire comes up the farm. Leaving it in their rearview mirror and not allowed back for about a week. Oliver, can you show that second picture, number two? So, oh, no, not that one. Go, go back, that one. I just ruined the surprise. <laughs> this is their farm, beautiful, lush trees. They have a lot of beehives, a lot of blackberries. They do, they sell honey. But, like, then they have um, a retreat building that they built, you know, with their bare hands, Essentially, it's a tiny house because they're cool in Northern California. And then, you know, after the fire comes through, you know, it's just gone. It's just gone. And I reached out to my buddy Rob. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Because his Instagram feed was just day after day of this is the work. This is the work that we put in today. This is the labor that we put in today. And then just seeing that picture that he posted in it, it's heartbreaking. I was like, I am so sorry. And his response was this. It's all right. 
what, what do you mean it's all right? Like, this is a tragedy. This is the worst. I don't even, you know, I'm not even, I'm not even like there, you know, but I'm freaking out. And he's like, fire's come. And you know what? Everybody's safe. Plants will regrow. We can rebuild. It's all good. And I was just blown away by his heart in this situation and a little bit convicted. Again, back to like, man, I don't get a good night's sleep. And I'm like, oh, go, roar. Kids, get out of here. You know, and I just don't, I don't manage adversity very well. And here's this guy who like literally hundreds and hundreds of hours of labor burnt to dust. And he's like, it's all good. It'll regrow. And then he started talking about how, you know, there's a really good chance that our blackberries are going to be better the next time. Because there's, you know, there is some science that under certain conditions, you know, fire burning um, instills nutrients into the soil. You know, it really is true in the natural world that the wilderness experience or travesty or this, this situation with fire can really make the ground more fertile for seeds to grow. I, again, I wish, I wish that wasn't part of the deal, but it is. That we can go through a wilderness experience, come out better the other side, stronger with a more fertile heart. But let's go back to Mark 4 with the um, parable of the sower. The seeds that landed into the good soil just didn't grow, right? And they produced a crop that was 30 60, a hundred times as much as it had been planted. Multiplied, right? When we can come through a wilderness situation, when we can be an example to people who need it, of this is what the Lord does. There can be blessing beyond that. There can be blessing for you and for them. Christy was reading a devotion this morning in a, a Charles Spurgeon devotional, which is pretty awesome. And it really, it was exactly what I was talking about today. And it comes from Psalm 84 is what he was reading from. Um, This is from the NIV because, again, I don't want to spoil the ending like I did with the picture. Um, And Psalm 84 is one of the ones that you know. It's, It's from one of the songs that we sing. I don't remember the words now, but I remember being like, oh, yeah, we sing that song. Um, But this is verses 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. And just, that was like the front verse, and I was like, great. Great devotional verse. But then he goes in to explain, and it's like, boom. Boom. The Valley of Baca, Baca means weeping. For those of you who have dedicated your pilgrimage to the Lord and you're going through the Valley of Weeping. And what these pilgrims are doing as they're going through the Valley of Weeping is they're literally, by their footsteps through this place, are making a trough that when it rains will fill with water for the followers to be blessed and have something to drink when they come through. The blessings increase. The blessings magnify. Not just for us, but for other people. 
um, when um, Christy was sharing this story about our car with her mom, her mom was like, you guys are really being blessed by the Lord. And just to hear that verbiage come out of her mouth was like, thank you, Lord, that she recognizes your handiwork. You know, and then we can start praying, do the same to her. Bless her. What do you have for her? I've got another just crazy testimony. And and I'll get to the back end where this becomes more relevant. But um, my brother-in-law has been looking for a job in the Carolinas. He and my sister and their family, my parents are still back in Iowa. He got a call one day that he got a job in Salisbury. So they're like, cool, we're moving to North Carolina. So they go to the people who live two houses down from Ryan and his family. They're like, hey, can we buy this house from you? Not for sale. And the people are like, sure. Right? That's amazing. But in the midst of this, like, there's just a little bit of tension that now these people are put in a position where they weren't planning on moving, are open to it, but now have to move. But I know there was on my wife's heart and on my sister-in-law Mary's heart that, I mean, this is a huge blessing for my parents and their family. Like, the house is perfect. Like, my parents and, like, down to, like, they have this giant dog run, and my parents and my sister and her family are moving out with all these giant huskies. So it's just, it's literally perfect. There's like a mother-in-law suite that we're going to fix up in the bottom. It's going to be amazing. But that in the midst of this, like Blake and Jenna are going to be blessed too. Like that was the heart of, especially Christy and Mary as they were praying for them. Like this isn't just a blessing for my parents and forget you guys, get out of here. Just get out. But they can be blessed in this too. And Mary specifically was praying for some things to happen and them finding a house. And she's having a conversation with this woman, Jenna. She's like, yeah, that happened. That the Lord was just increasing, passing on the blessing to who is next. And isn't what that what we want, church? Gosh, I just, what a year we're having. What a year. I was watching this video this morning because it was really funny. And it was like this woman came out and was drinking her coffee. And the caption was like, normal life in 2020. And she's drinking her coffee. And it pans to a tornado coming through. And she's like, and then it pans to like space aliens coming in. She's like, like normal day in 2020. And then the next one's like zombies or something. But you get the point. Like what a year. You know, and I think a lot of people probably feel like they're in the wilderness this year. You know, jobs lost. Just, man, you know, again, the fires in California. I, I think Andy's parents lost their house. Like it's just, it's rough. There's a lot of stuff going on. But you know what? That's not the end of the story. And I'm not buying that it's the end of the story. I'm looking for the milk and the honey. You know, Lord, in the midst of this, what are you doing? What do you have? Where are you going? Because I think there's sweet provision for us, even in the midst of it. If we can be open and willing and saying, Lord, bless us. What do you have for us right now? Like David praying for his job. You know, and his wilderness situation was 94 days. But then all of a sudden, within a week, boom. Sweet provision. You know, but how many other people can be blessed beyond that if we can grab a hold of what the Lord's doing? Like, how, how, how could we not be excited about the possibility 
of what the Lord has. Irregardless of, that's not a real word, regardless of what the Lord's doing in 2020, or what the world thinks is happening in the natural realm in 2020. You know? World have it. I'm having what the Lord has for me. I'm taking what the Lord wants for me this year. And if he's going to bless me, come on. But then we're going to bless other people. I'm going to read this verse out of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And God will, prov- will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with. You will have sweet provision. As the scriptures say, they share freely and they give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Here it is. So that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. The provision of the Lord, the sweet, sweet blessings in our life aren't for us to hold on to and grab and keep. Right? They're to overflow and bless everybody else. That we can go out to people and say, here, this is what the Lord's doing. Have some. And I just think, I just can't let go, church, that that should be a 2020 thing. You know, forget zombies. Right? Forget what the world says, or this year is a whatever, or this is awful. Nuh-uh. Right? Not when the Lord's in charge. Right? Because there are sweet blessings. There are sweet provision for us to have that we can then pass on to people who are looking at the world and who are lost and who say, oh, no, this is hopeless. And we can say, no, no, it's not. Check this out. Lord, do it again. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I struggle sometimes with um, prosperity messages about prosperity. Um, and it stems from this time when I was working on this preacher's house and he was telling us about the second Lexus that he bought and just coming in through the garage. It wasn't just two Lexuses. There was a lot of fancy cars out there. And I just couldn't help think like, you know, there's some hungry people out there. But I think I love the idea of prosperity, of the Lord blessing us because he wants to bless everybody. And if he can use me as a conduit, come on. Come on, Lord. I'm open for business. Who do you want to bless? Let's get them. If he can fill me up so that I can give out, come on. I'm in. Because that sounds so much more fulfilling than me hoarding and me having more stuff. Because you know what more stuff gets you in the end. Not, not a whole lot. Right? So I'd much rather bless people. So I don't know what it is. Um, Let me ask you this. Who's in a wilderness situation? Okay. All right. So, you know, I can't stand up here and say it's done. I mean, I can. But I think just the point is that there's a wilderness. There's another side to it. Who's on the other side of the wilderness situation? Who's at a place where they're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm through it. Hallelujah. Would you pray for those other people that... Raise your hands. Would you guys who just said, yeah, be willing to do that for me? Is that, is that something we can do? 
Okay, if you are bold enough and you're in a wilderness situation and you want to stand up, go ahead and do that for me. If you are through it and you're seeing blessings, if you want to stand up and put just a hand, if they're okay with that, ask first, put a hand towards them. Because I'm not going to lie to you and say that the wilderness situation is easy and it's gone. But there's provision. There is provision. And we go before you today preparing a way for you. That our feet, as we've gone through the wilderness, have created water troughs. That now you can drink and that you can be fulfilled and you can be sustained right where you are. That's a promise I can make because of what the Lord says. You can have provision even where you are. Even if it seems impossible or it seems like it's taken an eternity and it's going on forever. Those are lies that the devil tells you. There's a back end to this. You're coming through it. And on the other side, you're going to look back and you're going to thank the Lord. I trust and I believe that. Lord, bless these people with your blessing. Bless them, Lord. Bless them. I just want to put an exclamation point on the bottom, on the end. This is so cool. I read this yesterday. This is from National Geographic. A Canaanite palace was abandoned 3,700 years ago. Archaeologists finally know why. This was a massive palace. I forget how many square feet they said it was, but it was like a a modern-day mall that the Canaanites had. Remember the scripture that Corey had them put up? The land of the Canaanites 3,700 years ago. Do you know when that was? That was about the time (laughs) that Israel was coming in. It was 2,000 years from, from Adam to Abraham. And that would be 4,000 years ago. And then about another 500 years. So that would be about 3,500 years ago. So here archaeologists today find a Canaanite palace that was destroyed about the time when the Israelites came in and took the land of milk and honey. And do you know where this palace was found? It was found in the land that the Jews inhabit today called Israel. That's the faithfulness of God. Corey's message played out today in history, proving it, and not only seeing it then, but the faithfulness of God 3,700 years ago today. The very people that were promised the land are now, today, still in that land. That's the faithfulness of our God for all of our wildernesses. Amen. Amen. Well, can I ask the ministry team to come up? And for anyone that wants prayer, um, just to, to come forward. And, and, and again, Corey always hits it out of the park. What, what a great message. So, Father God, I, I just pray as we leave here today that we walk out of our wilderness experiences. And for those of us that have a few more days or weeks or months even left in it, because you're perfecting a work and you're not going to release us until you complete the work because it's for our benefit. We thank you and praise you for the grace to walk through what we need to, to the other side. In Jesus' name, amen.